0: It's funny uh, how I can still listen to a song like that and enjoy it when I don't like Michael Jackson I don't like Paul McCartney either, and yet I listen to him all the time, I don't listen to Michael Jackson all the time Uh, but he does make good music uh, for me Uh, but Paul McCartney I listen to all the time can't stand him this is a bit like um a Jew enjoying Wagner, you know, who I call Wagner. Uh, um, yeah. Sometimes you can separate things in your head. All right. Now, um, I, I was going to talk about the papacy, get back to the papacy, but all in all, I'm bored with it. So, dropping it. Uh, and I thought I'd start a series of episodes that were... Just me um, saying whatever comes to my head, segment by segment, minute by minute, without those segments having any connection to each other. Uh, so that's what I'm going to do. You know, whatever comes to my head, with an emphasis on me having really no interest in what I'm talking about. I'm not here, as always, I'm not here to try and um, tell the world what I think, because I don't really care what I think, and you know, as I get older, more and more, that becomes true, okay, Um, so, um, um, so, alright, thought for the day, (laughs) Uh, well, the first one, I've already had a thought, haven't I, Um, you know, good music, Um, it doesn't have to have anything to do whether you like the person or not. Um, And I've had exposure to that, you know. Um, I I know of someone who likes rap, music, you know, sure, well, I'll call it music, you know. They, they, um, they marry, you know, rap is always put together with some sort of rhythm at least and uh, rhythm is a component part of music, uh, and it's also put together with sounds. I wouldn't call it, say it's sort of really put together with um, other elements of music like uh, melody, harmony, you know, counterpoint, and you know, all that sort of thing, or real instruments. You know, maybe not with all of that stuff, uh, but um, you know, I've had exposure to this. Uh, And, um... And I forget in what way. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I'll just drop that. See, this is going to be random. Right, now, what did happen just now? I just passed a hotel. See, this is how I'm just going to shift. And I I will leave thoughts half-thought-out all the time, you know, because I just want to do a stream of consciousness. Uh Aha! I remember what I was talking about. Yes, it's not about what I think. Um... I don't care about putting that out there, you know. Um, In fact, sometimes, you know, what I think is, you know, so unimportant to me, for the purposes of these podcasts at least, that I'm happy to sort of say sometimes the opposite of what I think, you know. Um, And uh, I might say, you know, I think, you know, slavery is great, you know, but to illustrate a certain point that is nothing to do with whether I think slavery is great or not. You know, something like that. I might be thinking about ancient Rome, you know, and just before I was thinking of Cicero and his slave, his favourite slave, Tyro, you know, and um, they seem to have a good relationship and, and you know, and, um, oh, here comes the stream of consciousness. Yeah, I was thinking about... Um, uh, slavery in ancient Rome just before, because my goddaughter was texting me, um, as she often does, about matters African-American. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I'm grateful to her because I would be ignoring African-Americans, but for her, uh, in life, but they're at the forefront of my mind a lot because we are who we hang with. Yeah. So if it's important to her, it's important to me. Okay? Okay. Uh, whoever I talk to, whatever they're into, you know, it tends to be something I'm into. Yeah, because I'm really not into all these things that other people are into. But I, I like, I like um, thinking about them, you know, without really worrying too much what I what I think. You see, what I think is that I think that how I think is the most important thing for me. That's what I was going to get at. Okay, so. Um, yeah, and so, you know, I might say, oh, look, you know, slavery's okay. You know, okay, imagine I was on social media and i put that up there. Um, slavery's okay in some circumstances, you know. And, um, and, uh, if I was on social media and Americans were looking at it, for example, I'd be shot down in pieces before I had time to finish. You know, and I might say, oh, no, no, I was thinking of Tyro. And let's say, was he African-American? I'd say, no. Um, he was uh, he was not, actually. I think he was Greek. Uh, what are you talking about, they'd say? Slaves are Africans. Uh, no, no, no. I was thinking about um, Tyro. He was a Greek, I think. I think he was a Greek. Was he? Um, I'm Actually, not sure what he was, but, you know. Uh, maybe he was um, French. <laughs> yeah. And they'd say, uh, no, the history of slavery is about Africa... Uh, and all that sort of stuff and Europe Uh, and I said no 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 no." I was talking about oh you see you didn't hear me out is what I might say and I said "Um, Cicero you know probably his best friend was his slave you know Tyro and that's what I was thinking about and yes um, I um, I wasn't explicit but why did you think that I was talking about African Americans Uh, because that's The only thing that people think about, I suppose, when the word slavery is spoken in the world, everyone just assumes you're talking about African-Americans, you know, because that one is highly publicised, For good reason, for absolutely good reason. But the true Zen person, you know? Let's say say I was Indigenous Zen. My goodness, I've just made up another term for myself. Right, I shall define Indigenous Zen... um, in which I draw from Indian culture and Indigenous Australian culture. Um, culture. <laughs> I say culture. You know. I spell culture like this. C-U-L-T-C-H-A. Yeah. You know, I think that's my biggest Aussieism. Uh, culture. Yeah. You know? And I'm not changing it. I like it. Okay. So Indigenous Zen. Yeah, you know, I like making up little terms for myself. I enjoy that. And I'll get back to that hotel by the way. You thought I forgot, didn't you? Um, And I was talking about um, some rapper or something just before, but I'm sure I'll forget what that was all about. That one has disappeared out of my mind because remember, this is going to be stream of consciousness, and I'm happy to dump ideas that are half thought out. Yeah, Um, and from which I've been distracted away. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I was thinking about Tyro and um, Cicero in ancient Rome. You know, and uh, African-Americans yeah, associated with slavery. Now, indigenous Zen. I shall define that as um, where you are not so... What would be the word for it? Um, you are not so chauvinist how's that for a word, as to imagine that things happening in your own time and relating to your own culture, sorry, sorry, culture, your own culture, um, you're not so chauvinist as as to imagine that stuff is of more importance than stuff that's happened any other time in history, in any other time in history, and in any other place on the planet. Okay. Um now if I've got Indigenous Zen, you know what? I might start a podcast called Indigenous Zen. This idea is growing on me. Alright. Now the way Indigenous Zen would work is that time slides away. Yeah, our concept of linear time slides away. And I will get back to that hotel. I'm reminding myself. I'm not reminding you, uh, I don't even want you to listen because part of my indigenous zen is not to seek listeners. I don't want you to listen, you know. I might even abuse you soon to make sure you get off this podcast uh, because part of my indigenous zen, which is something I am um, inventing as I go along, um, and it's all in the words, uh, is such that. Uh, I, uh, I do not seek listeners, I do not seek what they call in the social media world uh, likes and shares, you know, please share me, please like me, you know, I'm trying to make, I'm trying to make .01 cent off every time someone watches this video. And I'm compromised and corrupt as a result. You know, my message is not completely pure. Yeah, you know, a little bit like rappers um, who have a powerful message to give to everyone. And yet, as they're writing their rap songs, they are thinking, is this going to sell? Is this going to sell? And as much as you might say, um, such a rapper with a powerful message um, is, uh, is able to sell... And also, um, be honest, you know, uh they are conflicted. There is no way to get around that. They have a conflict of interest. So in rap songs, they uh rappers consider every word and every phrasing and every emphasis, right? Every emphasis. So when a rapper is making a song, he has his mind on, you know what i call emptying his head for sure and speaking from his heart and speaking from his soul honestly but hey in the grammar and in the wording and you know how strongly he's going to make points and how much emphasis he's going to give to points corruption must creep in because if he says it one way he'll make a million sales and if he says it another way you know this thing that's in his heart Honestly, in his heart, if he says it a little stronger, he knows he'll make more sales because he's because he's going to activate young angry men, for example. Right. The minute you want people to listen to you, you have corrupted yourself, especially for money, but also you know for fame, for example. Okay. So it's tricky, tricky, tricky. Um, so part of my indigenous zen, well tell you to go away and do not listen to this, um, and I might even right now have seven seconds of silence in this podcast, in this episode, so that you during those seven seconds, you may well say, oh, I can't be bothered with this, okay, this is part of my indigenous sin, okay, here comes the seven seconds now. I made it 14, just to be sure. Now, if I wanted to be fully zen, I would actually delete this episode. In fact, I'd only be talking to myself. Well, I am only talking to myself, you know? And I do not want listeners. I'm not even trying to be interesting in the way I speak. Now, if I wanted to be interesting, I'd be putting all this to a rap rhythm and making every second word rhyme uh so not, I don't want to be doing that indigenous Zen. now what am I talking about with that well I'm thinking to myself yeah you know, and remember um I'm only interested in um how I'm thinking I don't care what I think yeah you know. um, there's so many people in the world who are into evangelism really these days you know with their thoughts and you know secu- secular evangelism you, know, you will think this, and you will think that, and you know, if, if, if you have a woman who's loyal to you and loves you, you hold on to that woman, you know, they're telling you what to do all the time, bossing you around, ordering you, telling you what to think, trying to take what's inside their head, um, reach into their own heads, grab out some of that grey matter and shove it into your head, that's what they're trying to do, okay, but I'm not going to do that, you know, and I never have, you know, if you've listened to any of my podcasts. All right, and I'm even going to slow this one down and speak a little bit more slowly and a little bit more distinctly actually, uh, because sometimes I rush along in my other podcasts and um, and don't pay too much attention <laughs> to speaking properly, uh, but you know i'll 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 take my time and speak a little more properly this time, okay um so, and I will get back to that hotel now. Is does slavery in the eighteen hundreds, the legacy of which remains today, continues on continues on today, uh, matter more than slavery in ancient Roman Greece, or for that matter, slavery in Africa in the ancient times, wherever slavery in Egypt, you know, does it matter more? And does it matter so much more that really, for all intents and purposes, slavery is all about Africans being s- enslaved by Europeans? Yeah. Well, in a humanitar- in a modern humanitarian sense, you know, in terms of who is uh, oppressed in the modern age, even now with racism, you know, the form of racism we have now, there's been all sorts of... Forms of racism in the past, you know, there was racism against the Germans by the Romans in ancient times. Um, in a humanitarian sense, yes, it does matter. In a moral sense, yeah, you know, in in our time, it does matter. You know, it is more relevant, um, but only in a humanitarian and moral and justice in the 21st century sense, I say. But in, in in an indigenous Zen sense where time slips away see this is where the indigenous bit comes in because indigenous people in Australia have this concept of timelessness you know the dreaming it's you know we used to call it the dream time because we, it took us a long time to slowly try and get our heads around it this thing that indigenous people have with respect to time uh, and we imagined it early on in our interactions with Indigenous people as the Dreamtime, yeah, and even to this day, only because it's catchy. Ah, that makes me think of that hotel. Only because it's catchy, uh, we have uh, an annual football match uh, between Essendon and Richmond. Essendon being my club, um, called the Dream, you know, Dreamtime at the G. You know so dream time is a is a term that we came up with at one stage to try and get our heads around indigenous concepts really of you know existence all right, but more recently you know maybe since then who knows when when did the word dream the dreaming come up you know because we wanted to get rid of the word time you know because indigenous people you know slowly educated us really, and I think that's really the case. And they said, no, it's not really a dream time because you, you, you're still locked into your idea of linear time. You know, you've, um, you've got to really get outside your concept, you know, um, your, your biases, you know, your prejudices. No, the way you think, you know, and that's really hard to do. But in the end, we sort of started saying, using the word the dreaming, you know, because um, time was taken out of it so something that happened 40,000 years ago is just as um present and real and relevant as something that happened yesterday all right and that's i think that's what the dreaming is all about timelessness you know so um when i uh now i can't say his his name properly because i'm not into bothering to pronounce everyone's names especially in ancient history, properly. Uh, because, you know, who cares anyway? You're, how smart you are is not how well you know how to pronounce everything, especially especially if you're a reader and, you haven't, and you've never heard these names expressed before out loud. Yeah. You haven't gone had time to go to your big fat Mac, you know, your Macquarie Dictionary. Uh, I don't use the online dictionary at all. I've found it to be uh, really, um, misle- you know, it's, it's so shallow as, to the point of being misleading. Uh, and it's American anyway, you know, the default online dictionary um, gives American definitions of everything. You know, if you look up, let's say the word liberal, you know, in the political sense, on the online dictionary, it leans towards the American version of the word liberal. And um, anyone who was locked into the American thinking in terms of the word uh, liberal, liberal in politics, uh, would be shocked to, surely, you know, to learn that our liberal party in Australia is our conservative party. Okay. And um, and that, you know, that's our right-wing party per se, you know, centre-right, but, you know, right... You know, factions within that are everything between centre-right and far-right, okay? That's our Liberal Party, you know, and that's Liberalism through Conservatism. All right. Um, and, uh, you yeah know, Liberalism meaning freedom. you know, So, you know, freedom, Liberalism through Conservatism. Um, and whereas in America they've got this idea that Liberalism is achieved through being left-wing, you know, but, you know, in Australia we do have a concept of Liberalism through... Being right wing. In fact, our major party, you know, the party that's in power right now is the Liberal Party. Okay. Along with the National Party, because that's another view of politics, you know. There's, you know, conservative liberalism, you know, progressive liberalism, if you like, uh, progressive conservatism, you know. Um, that's one sort of form of politics. And nationalism is another form of politics, and, you know, our, we have a coalition actually between our Liberal Party and our National Party, which, you know, kind of blends um, what you might call progressive conservatism with, um, you know, which means slow progression, you know, not fast revolution, evolution, not revolution, that sort of thinking, with a, a touch of nationalism because the Nationals are very, very much a minor player in the Coalition. You know, it's predominantly... Uh, predominantly uh, liberal uh, what we call capital L liberal in order to not confuse the Americans, you know, we, we say oh you're talking about small L liberal you know, which means uh, you know an, an unusual America focused form of liberalism yeah, and, and the Americans probably would be shocked to, to imagine that we don't even have any political party that resembles their Democrat party um, because you know our supposedly left-wing party, and it is left-wing in the communist sense, perhaps uh, centre, you know, centre communist, centre-left, uh, is the Labour Party, which doesn't, which bears no resemblance to the Democrat Party in America, whose, which is their left-wing sort of leaning type of um, party, you know, uh, sort of social democrats over there. Um, but our, uh, our party is more the workers' party, our left-wing party, um, which doesn't translate well uh, in terms of... You know, I don't see a great friendship between the Labour Party here and the um, Social Democrats, let's say, in America. Uh, you know, they've got a much more elitist form of leftism, you know, as might be predicted by George Orwell, perhaps, you know. Um, and uh we've got a grassroots workers' view of leftism, you know as might be predicted by marx you know very very different um left leftists in America, yes you know, are very celebrity focused uh super wealth focused all that sort of thing, but our labor party i mean uh both our federal yeah you know, well our erstwhile federal Labour leader, Uh, he's just been kicked out, um, he was in my own area, electorate, um, and, you know, you can just see him down the street, and also, um, the erstwhile Premier of, uh, Labour Premier of Victoria, um, I see him around the streets, he lives in my suburb, and, you know, he just walks down the street and has a coffee with the rest of us, um, you know, it's not like Obama, for example, who, if you wanted to accidentally run into him, you'd have to be invited onto Richard Branson's yacht in the Bahamas. The Bahamas? <laughs> the Bahamas, you know. Very different. John Brumby is who I'm talking about. Um, just dresses in normal clothes like the rest of us around town, you know. And, um, look, Australia is very different. You know, I ran into John Howard once, who's over, and. Um, who had only just finished, you know, was uh, was only recently retired at the time from being Prime Minister of Australia, and he was at the airport all by himself, waiting for his luggage, at uh, in Melbourne Airport, you know, Tullamarine Airport as we call it. Uh, anyway, um, so I was waiting for my luggage too. You know, I was coming back from Towns, not Townsville. Well, I was coming back from um, really doesn't matter uh, um, Newcastle. Newcastle, here's where my stream of consciousness can cut in Um, and at Newcastle that's where little Richard gave up rock and roll in 1957 are you keeping up son? are you keeping up with my stream of consciousness? (laughs) Um, he was going across the river that's the hunter and uh, he thought Sputnik was going to land on him he thought he was about to die you know what Sputnik is? All right. And uh, and he had taken off from Essendon Airport, I think, days earlier, or maybe a day or two earlier, Essendon Airport. Essendon is where I live, actually. He had been at Essendon Airport. Yeah, my father was working there uh, uh, at the time, actually, as a ground crew. Aha, uh-huh, maybe there's a link. Um, and, um, and he'd hopped on an aeroplane at Essendon Airport, And, uh, it had taken off. This is Little Richard, you know, the rock star. He was the biggest name in... He should have been the king, really. He was the king of rock and roll, in my opinion, at the time. But no one could handle having an African-American king at the time in the celebrity sense. We'll get back to Richard Branson and all that. Um, and celebrity culture in America. Um, America just couldn't come at having, um an African-American king at the time, even if it was only in a rock and roll celebrity sense. Uh, so, obviously, you know, Elvis Presley had to be the king. Uh, uh, but Little Richard was the biggest thing. Uh, I did a an intentional jive rhyming slang then, you know, because that's very Little Richard. and Muhammad Ali had that after Richard as well. And, uh, and that's uh, been exaggerated... To its full extent in the form of rap by now. Little Richard says everything starts with him. He could have a point. I do think rock. You know, as distinct from rock and roll. The roll stripped out of rock. If you had if you take rock and roll, which means sex, you know, and you strip the roll out of it, you you're left with rock. Analyse the song Lucille One Day. Yeah, I think that's about 1957 compared uh, compared to all other rock and roll songs of the time. Lucille has had the role stripped out of it and it is just rock. Was that the first rock song? I'm inclined to think so yeah um, he may have invented rock, you know and he would say he's invented everything. Rap <laughs> two. You know, James Brown. He might have had something to do with that. They were all from the same place. You know, Otis Reddy, Little Richard, James Brown. They were all from Georgia. Um, One of my favorite. See, I'm trying to do Stream of Consciousness now. Um, One of my favorite songs is Midnight Train to Georgia. Love that song. Just love it. Alright, so. That was that. Anyway, Indigenous Zen. That hotel. I'll get back to that at some stage. Um, so yeah, Americans would get a little bit surprised, uh, I think, to say to, to you know I can't imagine a leftist in Australia, um, yeah, a, 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 a um, prominent leftist in Australia being that comfortable around your yeah, archetypal. Ah, leftist in America. Do you know when I was young, I was about 20, I used to say archetypical (laughs) instead of archetypal. And uh, a friend of my brother's uh, very gently, without insulting me, what a great guy. His name was Paul. Great guy. Uh, Because very gently he, um, he corrected me without making it obvious he was correcting me. You know, I used archetypical in a sentence and then um, I think it was later an hour later or something like that or ten minutes later, I can't remember um, he he used archetypal in a sentence offhandedly in a way that no one in the conversation would have noticed and I went (laughs) you know he didn't smile at me or anything, he didn't look at me you know, um, knowingly you know or with a grin or anything like that. He just used it. And what he was doing there, and this is humans are wonderful. He was sending me a smoke signal. Saying, there you go, Damien. That's how you actually say it. Um, well, without embarrassing me. That's class. I like that. All right. So I've said archetypal ever since. Um, I forget what I was saying was archetypal just then. Because I liked that story so much. Uh, so, uh... That hotel. Um, leftists. Rightists. Yes, yeah, so I did go up to John Howard. And he's right-wing. Oh, he's conservative. I think he's a liberal. He is very much a liberal. Um, and I'm proud of it. Yeah. Um, Jeff Kennett. Uh, met him recently. He's the ex-premier of uh, Victoria. Uh, and uh, he was... I asked his wife, Felicity, to take a photo of my daughter and I at the opera. And I didn't recognise her. And uh, we are at the opera and um, and my daughter was dressed up to the nines. She actually had a train. She wore a red dress with a train. You have to know my daughter. Uh, she, you know, as she says, you know, the style is... Um, nobody cares about style anymore, but she does. She's only 14, but she's into style. And she said, style is the fact that I wear velvet gloves in winter. I said, okay, I get it. All right, I wear a footy jumper. <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. Fathers. They're so embarrassing. All right. So, uh, we met Jeff Kennett, and um, he said it nicely recently. He said, I'm, so, he said, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, ex-liberal premier of Victoria, and... Um, But, you know, I'm a capitalist. You know, I'm fiscally conservative. I'm conservative and I'm socialist, he said. I'm socially socialist and I'm fiscally conservative. You know, don't try and tell me I'm a conservative. You know, when it comes to social issues, I'm a progressive. I'm socially progressive, he said. And I'm fiscally conservative. So he said, I'm careful with money. Because if you're not, you're an idiot. You're an idiot, you know. um, If you you pay no attention... Sorry, just... um, I've arrived at work and I'm just pressing the button for my ticket machine. And you know, if you say are you a, are you a progressive or are you a conservative, son, you know. Uh, I like saying son like that, you know, because that's um like that rooster in that American cartoon, can't remember his name. Um, when I was a kid. I say I say I say son. <laughs> Listen up. He's <laughs> funny that rooster. Um, he was a deep south rooster. He was a deep south rooster. Um, and he had a chicken <laughs> who he used to instruct, but the chicken was smarter than him. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, but anyway, Jeff Kennett, he, um, said, I'm fiscally conservative. So he said, you know, don't ask, don't force me to be pin myself down as to whether I'm a progressive. Don't label me as a progressive or a socialist. You know, when it comes to social issues, issues, um, I'm progressive, and when it comes to fiscal issues, you know, money, uh, I am conservative, and they say, oh, yes, but, you know, um, what, if, um, what if the social issue is so, you know, powerful within you, what if you care so much that you would rather see your country go broke? Yeah, you know, let's say, you know, let all the refugees in, because I have a friend who says that, let them all in. What if, a, what if a cause was so great uh, and you had so much compassion that it would be worth, you know, in your mind, destroying your own country for it? You know, um, or do you want to see babies die, Jeff? And he'd say, well, you know what? I'd put limits on refugee intakes because I'm not fully progressive. Uh, uh, you know, I'm part evil, if you want um and you know I'm part conservative in that sense that I would put limits on refugee intakes uh, if I was certain that it would actually bring the country to its knees if we brought them all in you know so to that extent I'm conservative and I say, you're a conservative then he said aha no 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 uh, look at my record in in office and you'll see that I was heavily uh, progressive in many ways yeah. you are not because you, you can't say that because you are not 100% compassionate you know and with that you know you wouldn't bother uh, pursuing the discussion because you're dealing with someone who you hope would never get into power you know because your grandchildren would be living in misery whether they were refugees or not you know that sort of thing you know okay so that's that yeah. and uh, the, the friend I was referring to, to whom I was referring, um, if she was in government, she would destroy the country, you know, absolutely. Um, Destroy the world, actually, through compassion. You know, most likely. I can't say that for sure, because it's never been put to the test. Angela Merkel tried to put it to the test. But jury is out on that one. And, And a halt was put to that anyway. And, uh, and, you know, Germany uh, now has Tony Abbott's uh, policies on refugee intakes, you know, like Australia's, you know, Hungary and Australia. <laughs> the bad guys, you know, slightly to the right of Attila the Hun, as Andrew Lloyd Webber said in Evita <laughs> on one occasion. Yeah, speaking of Eva Peron, yeah. know. Um, okay, stream of consciousness all oh, right. You don't know who Tony Abbott is? That's all right. Australians tend to, you know, uh, Tony Abbott brought in all these policies around refugees, you know, border force and border control and all that sort of stuff, and he was smashed for it. Uh, but now I don't know of one country in the on the planet that doesn't have that policy, and I'm talking every country in the world. And that's Africans, you know, Asians, um, Europeans, uh, South Americans. Yeah, everybody. Has Tony Abbott's policies now? He was smashed uh, for declaring them for Australia. You know, really, it was only Hungary and Australia. Yeah, especially countries like Denmark, the Scandinavian countries. You know, Finland and all that sort of thing. Oh, you are so bad, Australia. You're just like Hungarians. Yeah? Um, you're racist with respect to wanting to keep your countries, you know, culturally intact. Bring the Syrians in, all of them. You know, and the rest and everyone else too. You know, well, you're at it. You know. um, but sure enough, um, yeah, I think it was it um, Sweden or something was, you know, ended up building digging great big trenches to stop the refugees coming in. <laughs> I don't know who they were lecturing us. You know, the Tampa affair. Do you remember the Tampa affair? Who was that giving us? Was that Norway? giving us, you know, giving John Howard, who I met, did you remember that, I'm name dropping here, um, the Tampa affair, you know, when, um, when our, we started our Manus Island and Nauru adventure, you know, highly horrible, uh, and yet, you know, we're still doing it, you know, Labour tried to put a stop, to our left wing tried to put a stop to that, and I think 1,200 people drowned on the spot, uh, you know, in the rush of refugees when Labor said, oh, we're going to close down our detention centres, you know, 1,200 people died on the spot. You know, it was so shocking footage, you know, all these children dying, you know. It was, uh, you know and there would have, the, that flood of refugees would have continued, you know. Uh, and then Labor, actually Labor, went back to, to Liberals' um, policies. Now, if you're American, you'll be getting very confused here, but what I mean is Liberals meaning our Conservative Party. I'll get back to that hotel, Uh, and um, and uh, put the detention camps back in place. You know, this is the left wing put the detention camps back in place uh, to stop the boats um, flooding to Australia, and uh, so there's uh, it was almost like a forced bipartisanship occurred. Yeah, and Labor took on John Howard's policies. John Howard, you know. Did I mention I met him? Oh, yeah. I went up to him at the carousel and, well, what else are you going to say? I said, g'day. You know, just exactly like that. You know, I had a smile on my face. It's pretty funny. What a great country this is. He's waiting there, waiting for his bags by himself. No bodyguard. Yeah. Have you seen George W. Bush doing that in America? <laughs> I love this country. John Brumby, down the street, coffee shops, yeah. He always gives you a little smile and all that sort of stuff. He keeps to himself. He's pretty quiet. A bit like Merv Hughes. He lives in my suburb too. And uh, he keeps to himself. Nice and quiet. A really nice guy. Um, Everyone has said so. I know someone who knows all the cricketers, you know. And um, great guy, you know. The opposite of Max Walker. Max Walker, you know, if you didn't notice him and ask him for his autograph, he'd go around the block so he'd run into you again. (laughs) I love people like that too. But uh, Merv Hughes is not like that. He just has his coffee. Uh, his kids go to a uh, not his kids. I don't, I don't know. I see him around the school. I don't know what his relationship is with the kids there. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't pry too much into other people's business. Right. So that's that. Uh, but Indigenous then, um, yeah. So timelessness. Um, you look this timelessness business. It's you really shouldn't get into it. You know because there are matters to be considered for the modern age you're living in the world today, so if you've got a humanitarian sort of compassionate um, minds you know angle to you, then don't get into timelessness because you know more recent events are more relevant to making the world a better place now you know, and that matters, but there is a time and a place I think for one being wiser, and the Indigenous Australians uh, would teach this, so don't take it from me, okay? I'm not making this stuff up. There is a time and a place for forgetting about time and place, okay? Um, And the Indigenous people say this, you know, have a dreaming in which, you know, something that happened a thousand years ago is just as, well, 10,000 years ago, or 40,000 years ago, or 65, is just as poignant and real as anything that happened one year ago, you know. For example, you know we Europeans dig up our own ancestors, but as long as they're more than what five hundred years old, they're a fair game, and we'll even uh, put those skeletons up in a museum, you know. And we'll uh, we'll take our children to that museum and walk them past the skeleton. And they're just looking at a skeleton of a human, you know, like that. That's us. Yeah, indigenous people tend to be, you know, that that would pain, you know, that you find an Indigenous bone, you know, a skeleton, um, but that has to be treated with just as much respect as, um, someone who died last year, you know, uh, it's bizarre, it was, you know, it takes a while to get into those sorts of mindsets, you know, in that respect, they remind me of the ancient Romans a little bit, the Indigenous people, you know, because in ancient Roman religion, you know the, oh, they had lots of layers of religion, oh it was all smashed by uh, the monotheistic god The you know, the Romans had wonderful religions in some ways um, you know, had a state religion and then you know, a religion of the household and you know, layers of religion, it was very complex and you know, very profound in a way, you know, in the way indigenous people had profound religions and you know, a lot of people had profound religions before Abraham came crashing through with his single God and just smashed them all to smithereens, you know. Um, but um, the Romans had a very tolerant sort of religion in which, you know, your ancestors were looking after you as it were, you know. you. Um, and uh, they had that sort of respect for ancestors as well. you know. I think Julius Caesar sort of traced himself back to Venus, you know. And it didn't matter whether she was real or not. It was profound, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, Alexander the Great, you know, kind of thought himself, you know, the next Achilles. Didn't matter if it's real, you know. Didn't matter if uh, Achilles was a myth. And all that sort of thing. And they were switched on to all this sort of stuff, you know. Alexander was the uh, student of Aristotle, who was a student of Plato, you know, student of Socrates. And, you know, Plato used to say, um, the, these things, you know, Aristotle used to say, you know, we make the, you know, are gods man made or, you know, do, 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 did God make, ma- did the gods make man or do man make gods, you know. And, you know, readily, you know, the Romans would adopt gods and all that sort of stuff you know if they found a god that they liked or thought of one they'd bring him in you know so it was a much more sort of fluid idea of religion uh, than the Judoic people have um, Yeah, and, um, and uh, the other thing about the Roman religions was they were always on the lookout to incorporate other religions and bring them in, you know, Egyptians, you know, Persians, whatever, you know, Zoroastrianism, uh, Egyptian, you know, sort of things. You know, Alexander saw himself as a godlike pharaoh on one occasion and became pharaoh of Egypt, you know, kind of officially. Um, it's a, you know, in Greece and um, Egypt, uh, big connections as a result of this. And people say, ah, oh, this is a sign that um, the Roman you know the Jews might say this is a sign that the Romans didn 't have something as solid as we have, but actually it was more profound in a way. Um, the Romans had a very tolerant more than tolerant idea of religion, and um, they had you know as many gods as you want, and if you think of a new one, we might we might accept it you know? it was just fantastic, you know? so they were tolerant of the only thing that wouldn't work is if someone came along um, with a religion, because the thing about the Romans is, uh, when new gods came in, they didn't respect the old gods, you see. But then along came the Semitic god, who was intolerant of the Roman god, and that wrecked everything. Because the hardest thing about tolerance, and, you know, you can probably find YouTube clips on this point, the hard thing about having a tolerant society, which the Romans were when it came to religion, amazingly tolerant, um, is when an intolerant religion comes in. Intolerant. And I don't mind calling the Semitic, you know, God, because he's my God, you know, because I'm a Catholic. Um, He's intolerant of the Roman gods. And that's when it got dirty. And nasty, you know, because what the Jewish god was doing to the Roman gods was disrespecting them. Yeah. And worse than that, you know, the Romans were clued into this idea that they had to appease the gods and all that sort of thing. Um and the Jewish god coming in and disrespecting those gods was likely to bring the downfall of Rome. Yeah, and then the Rome then Rome had a downfall. Yeah, you know? and uh, then we had the Dark Ages, and you know, actually everything went to shit. I don't mind swearing. All right. So, all in all, my worldview is that even though Rome and Greece were horrendous in a lot of ways, it was kind of a tragedy when Christianity came, you know, to Rome. Um, yeah, you know, and and you know, and when you talking about the Eastern Roman Empire, when then you know, Islam came, you know, destroyed everything. Destroyed everything. This monotheistic God. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish, Christian, or Muslim. Um, it's an intolerant God, and when intolerance, an intolerant, intolerant system is brought into a tolerant system, you know, even if it's a secular tolerant system, if an intolerant system is, you know, an, a tolerant system, system, is, um, uh, you know, invites in an intolerant system. It's got a good chance of destroying it, And and in that I'm fairly critical of all of them, the Abrahamic religions, you know, the Jews, the Christians, the Muslims. They can be dangerous to what's called a tolerant society. And um, the Romans even went a step further. They were more than tolerant. They were welcoming of other religions. They were fascinated by uh, cults and all that sort of stuff, you know. Unless they rocked the Roman boat. If you showed disrespect, the Romans would smash you. And the Jews ended up showing so much disrespect. They they ended up such troublemakers that they created a holocaust. Now, you can say that that was Nazi of the Romans. And it was. And I I cannot abide the Romans for doing what they did. But they did a... This is Hadrian. Did a Hitler on the Jews. You know, back in, I think it was 70 AD, did a Hitler. Um, and if you had been there, you'd call it a Holocaust, you know, I think. I think, um, and, and that was when the first, you know, the, the temple was destroyed. This is the moment the Jews, to this day, say, we were scattered, you know, we were kicked out of our homeland, Israel, you know. We were sent into exile for, you know, 2,000 years, you know, and they've only recently just come back as a result of another Holocaust, you know. Um... So, but then you know you come back to this central point, you know, has the monotheistic God of the Jews, the Christians, the Catholics and the um and the Muslims been a curse two the direction in which Greece and Rome, for example, is heading, but also other lands too who had polytheistic gods you know is um is you know is Christianity which is rising in China? Kind of a great danger for the idea of India, uh, for, of the idea of China, and is you know the rise of Islam in um, India at the moment uh, a, a tragedy for um, India, the, the idea of India, um, you know, because you know, Islam and ch- Christianity are imported religions and monotheistic and intolerant. They are intolerant um, fundamentally. I'm not talking about individuals. Yes, I can find a tolerant um, Christian. I can find a tolerant Christian. I can find a tolerant Muslim. In fact, most of Christians and most Muslims are tolerant. But fundamentally, the God of the Muslims and the Christians and the Jews is intolerant. Yeah, he really is. Um, you know, and that presents a problem. You know, uh, I mean, you know much like was, uh, you know. Rome's uh, relative acceptance, Greece and Rome's relative acceptance, you know, there were Greek communities, uh, there were Jewish communities all through the Hellenic world. Uh, Paul, you know, Tarsus, was a member, he came from Tarsus in modern day Turkey, which was then a Greek land. Um, uh, You know, Tarsus, um, Hellenic land. Um, He was part of a very strong Jewish community. In fact, I heard somewhere that. All the early deacons of the church, you know, in the very early church, you know, were um, Hellenic Jews. You know, the Hellenic Jews really kicked the Christianity into uh, the next level, you know, I've heard. But, you know, that could be explored another day. This is what I'm getting at. Now, I'm almost, I'm at work here and I have to park. I'm going to draw a close. To this, but uh, you know, there's so much you could talk about. But what I meant by indigenous, and you know, I'm going to give it very short shrift now. uh, What I what I'm kind of talking about, Um, indigenous zen and all that sort of stuff. In 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 the indigenous sort of thinking, um, you know, uh, Julius Caesar once uh, destroyed, you know, uh, holocausted, if you like, a place called Avaricum. In Gaul, and you know, killed everything. Yeah. Um, men, women, children, pets. He slaughtered everything. You know, if someone had a chicken, that was slaughtered as well, and probably eaten. But you know what I mean. Um. So you know, if some if the children had a pet, you know, he'd kill it. Yeah. So, uh, absolutely slaughtered everything except the singer Troy, and he's the guy that I said, ages ago that I don't know how to, verse in, verse in, look, it's it's when you read it, Vercingetroi, you know, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not up on my Asterix co- comics, sorry, <laughs> Vercingetrix, you know, <laughs> Versingetrix. it's probably something more like that, if I was there, my Latin head on, i oh, sorry, my Gallic head on, um, Gaul, you know, that means, uh, that comes from the Greek word gallo, I believe, you know, white, milk, milk gallo, you know, gallo is milk gallo, um, uh, so, you know, much like Ethiopians in the ancient Greek is the Greek word for dark skinned or burnt skin, as I understand it. Um, Gallo, Gaul was white skins, you know. Um, uh, layers of, you know, the, uh, we wouldn't. They were all barbarians. No, the black people weren't barbarians back then, so much the white skins were, though. Um, okay, and made slaves of, too. Yeah. Um, cicero's slave who he liked um all right uh i really think an african you know if anyone who really wants to study the african-american experience should really spend a lot of time think uh investigating rome because you know america's kind of the new rome the latest rome um, and it would add a layer You know, to hop outside your chauvinistic kind of time frame and place time of now. And this is what I'm getting at. You know, sometimes it is good to have a dreaming. And, you know, if Avara come and the slaughter of all the people there hurts you in your soul as much as what is happening to the Yemeni people today, um, then you have escaped your context a bit. And there's a time and a place for that. I think, you know, why do we shed floods of tears for Syrians or Yemeni people at the moment who are getting slaughtered right now and we are so dispassionate about the Gallic people who were smashed by who were slaughtered by Julius Caesar. Now the indigenous people and me sometimes would say, well, you know, maybe we should be upset about those people way back 2000 years ago. You know, in Julius Caesar, while well, we're talking and what forty years ago, 2050 years ago, you know, when Julius Caesar was going through Gaul, why are we not upset about that? You know, why can we study that so dispassionately and then only get passionate when it comes to African-Americans or, you know, Jews in the Holocaust and all that sort of stuff? Well, there's a good reason why we're more passionate about that now because people around us are hurting, you know. But... That doesn't mean you never think the other way. And that, and because the world is so locked into, let's say, the idea... Because the world s- gives such short shrift to history, because people are so locked into their context, you know, there needs probably to be at least one person in a million, that person being me, who is coming at it from an Indigenous Zen sense. You know, um just to balance it up a little bit, you know, to give a bit of context. Now, if you get someone in America who thinks, you know, and I'm sure a lot of rappers do, that slavery is all about Africans being enslaved by Europeans, you know. Uh, You know, like if you honestly say, word association, slavery, and I say African, you know, supremacists, whites, you know. People who, you know, would scattergun sort of respond like that, you sort of say, now hang on let's get this in context and this is not to excuse what the Europeans did not to excuse um what the Europeans did but if you really want a full sort of feel for what's going on here you know and um you know maybe you should spend a, a year getting into Rome and then the person you're speaking to you're trying to make apologies for the you know, I wasn't actually I just said that don't care what you said. That's what you're trying to do. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm just trying to be a philosopher, sort of. You know, but they won't listen. But that doesn't matter. This is part of being Indigenous sin. Not worrying if they listen. Just making a podcast like this. You know. Now, there are all sorts of values and sort of systems in the world and institutions and all that sort of thing, because I'm going to get back to that hotel, and I'll finish off with that, because my podcast is on 57 minutes 51, as I'm, and um, I can see it there, uh, my phone... Yeah, recording, and uh, it's going to cut off in one minute. In well, fifty-eight oh one, two minutes now. So I'll finish off with that hotel. And there's another system. You know, there are hundreds of institutions and systems in the world to think about. Yeah, you know, liberalism. You know, uh, royalty. You know, socialism. You know, all sorts of things. Um, communism. You know, there's a million things I could talk about. as I drove past that hotel earlier in Brunswick it was on um, Brunswick Road uh, they had four flags out the front advertising, you know, welcome and the four flags were the flag of the EU the Australian flag the Chinese flag and the Indian flag and I thought to myself you know that's capitalism at its best in some ways you know, capitalism is kind of... doesn't have a politics, really, does it? You know? That's capitalism. I'll talk about communism, socialism, and all that sort of stuff another day. I sort of did, and liberalism, and all that sort of thing. Um, and I thought, you know, capitalism is bad. But on one level, whoever put those flags up, the owner of that joint, um, they weren't being pro-Australian per se, or, you know, pro-communist Chinese, uh, or pro... Indian, you know, or, you know, for Brexit, you know, because they had the EU flag there, or against Brexit or anything, you know. I'm sure they'd put a Brexit flag up if they could, if they thought it would bring some money. And I thought, that's interesting, I like that. You know, on one level, in a vacuum, in a bubble, um, pure capitalism. You know, that guy, poor guy's just trying to make some money, and he's saying we well, he wants to welcome anybody who'll pay. <laughs> and he had those four flags up there. I'll leave it there, 57, 58, 59.